been, as historian Gordon S. Wood writes, a man of few words and no great thoughts. But even as a relatively young man, he possessed the commanding bearing, self-discipline, and mature judgment that made him a leader whom other men were willing to follow. When the American Revolution broke out in 1775, the Second Continental Congress chose Washington to serve as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army a post he held until the defeat of the British in 1783. General Washington was hailed as an exemplar of Republican virtue for relinquishing military power the moment victory was assured. In the spring of 1787, Washington came out of retirement to preside over the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. Seated on a raised platform in front of the other delegates, he managed to appear detached from the convention's often rancorous debate. However, he consistently voted with those delegates, like his fellow Virginian James Madison, who favored a strong national government and an independent executive branch. Although the prospect of a strong executive conjured up images of monarchy and despotism among many of the delegates, a majority of the 55 convention delegates ended up supporting the creation of a single, independent chief executive. That support probably owed a great deal to the knowledge that the new office would be filled first by Washington. On September 17, 1787, four months after the convention had begun, the delegates approved the new constitution and sent it to the states for ratification. After a prolonged debate between those in favor of the Constitution, who referred to themselves as Federalists, and the Anti-Federalists, who opposed it, the Constitution was ratified by the requisite number of states. On September 13, 1788, the Congress of the Confederation certified the new Constitution and set the date, March 4, 1789, for the first meeting of the new government. Washington had anxiously monitored the ratification process from Mount Vernon, knowing that he would certainly be selected the nation's first president. True to form, each of the 69 presidential electors cast his ballot for Washington in the nation's first presidential election. Presidency Washington was acutely aware that fears of executive power remained a potent part of American political culture. He also knew that the leading statesmen in the new nation remained jealously solicitous of legislative prerogatives. Washington understood that building support for the new Constitution and fostering trust in the presidency required him to exercise great self-restraint, particularly in his interactions with the legislative branch. Relationship with Congress Washington's self-restraint was evident in the cautious approach he took toward the veto power granted to him by Article I, Section 7 of the Constitution. He admitted to a friend that he signed many bills with which he disagreed. Indeed, during the first eight years as president, Washington vetoed only two bills. The first, at the end of his first term, was an apportionment bill, which Washington vetoed at the insistence of his Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson. Not only did Jefferson believe that the bill was unconstitutional, he also feared that non-use of the veto was beginning to excite a belief that no president will ever venture to use it. Washington did not exercise his next and last veto of a bill that disbanded two dragoon companies, 
until four days before he was to leave office. Washington also cooperated with Congress when it requested information, even some embarrassing information related to military policy. When the House of Representatives requested War Department documents relating to General Arthur St. Clair's humiliating defeat at the hands of American Indians in November 1791, Washington could easily have stonewalled. The Constitution, after all, did not specify what information the President was required to divulge to Congress. Well aware, however, that his response might become a precedent, and that Congress might in the future request papers of so secret a nature that they ought not to be given up, Washington gave the House Investigating Committee all the information it requested. Washington's public communications with Congress were unfailingly deferential. His speeches and messages were never scolding or confrontational.